Today on One Song, we want to say thank you. That is right, Diallo. We want to say thank you, first of all, to our listeners for listening to this show. Listen, we also want to say thank you to a musical innovator, a true virtuoso, a pioneer of funk, an artist who sold over 8 million records. He woke up Woodstock at 3 a.m. and stole the show and wore a riveted leather jumpsuit better than anyone before <laughs> or since. That's right. We're thinking a songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist who has made us dance to the music, taken us higher, and made us, the everyday people, appreciate the infectiousness of singing a simple song. Look how much I crammed in there. I'm oh, so proud no. of myself. While reminding <laughs> us that at the end of the day, it's a family affair. <laughs> oh, luxury. <laughs> Today's episode of One Song is a celebration of Sly and the Family Stone, and we're saying thank you for letting me be myself again. Shout out to U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for supporting this episode of One Song and for giving our podcast studio an unbelievably smooth, sustainable makeover. Here on our show, we dive deep into the music, dissecting every beat and lyric. Sustainability is just like that. Each eco-friendly choice we make is like a single note that contributes to life's melody. That's why Heartbeat and the USB are teaming up to lead the discussion around greening Hollywood. We're talking slashing the carbon footprint of production with soy-based alternatives like soy-based inks for printing scripts, soy foam for soundproofing studios, and even biodiesel generators to power sets. To see our sustainable studio transformation, watch the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how we pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. And I'm producer, DJ, and songwriter Luxury, also known as the guy who talks about or whispers interpolation on the internet. <laughs> you don't usually whisper guy. the word whisper. So <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> I sometimes whisper the word whisper, but I shouldn't have whispered Shout it out to just the whispers, then. That was confusing. By the way. Great, band. Great, Great band. Great Silvers would love Amazing. Them. Amazing bass lines. <laughs> Sick stuff. And I'm thrilled to welcome our special guest for this episode. She is a DJ, a recording artist, and if you live in LA, you have most definitely heard her on the radio hosting KCRW's Morning Becomes Eclectic. Yes. And as the daughter of Sly, she is herself a member of the Family Stone. <laughs> Novena Carmel, welcome to One Song, and how are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm great. You guys are a hoot and a half. I'm just enjoying like being here, <laughs> listening to the intro, and just the like puns? I want to join in on the banter. No, so, please the join in on the banter. This is the time. You are oh now officially. Part of the banter's begun. The, the, the medley of um, song titles that you did, masterful. I am so. Oh my god! The fact that you have not heard that to death and you weren't irritated by it gives me so oh, much. Oh, she's joy. heard it oh to my, death, but she's okay. laughing at how dead she is inside. That's what's going on. Oh my no, god! All of that put together, I haven't heard in okay. quite that way. So, I by the way, I just want to point out that 
it was kind of appropriate given that this song, thank mm-hmm. you, incorporates right. so many lines, uh, basically so many titles from their previous songs. Absolutely. So it, was ap- it was actually apropos. It was mm-hmm. all of it was, was considered and strategic and <laughs> tactical. No, yes. actually that was just a funny coincidence, but you're absolutely right. This song oh, has, no. is famous. See, I, thought for it was, I thought it was all planned. Referencing these other songs of the hits of the day. So we have so much to talk about with you. We're so glad you're here. Thank you yes, for joining thank us. You for joining Thanks us. for inviting me. I'm really excited to be here. Okay, so right off the bat, something I'm wanting to ask you is, did you actually grow up listening to your dad's music? Or is it one of those things where, you know, they weren't, he wasn't sitting at home listening to it, you weren't exposed to it in your day-to-day? How, tell us a little bit about what it was like. Yeah, so the the main albums that I was listening to, uh, to start were whatever my mom had around the record player at our house in Sausalito. I just remember that was sort of like the central point of the living room. And uh, a couple of Sly and the Family Stone records were definitely in the mix. I don't recall them like being pushed on me or anything like were that. Were you made aware that this was your dad? I knew it was my dad. Okay, yeah, okay. I don't remember. Like, <laughs> I think I just always knew. Okay. Um, and um, there was also like a Michael Jackson record, Guns and Roses, In Excess. <laughs> um, it was the eighties. Stevie Wonder, I think. Yeah, it was the eighties. Yeah, is the eighties all the like good stuff of the eighties. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it, but it wasn't like I listened to his album more than other people. Mm. Okay. But it was there from the very beginning, yeah. for sure. Did you have a relationship with it? Were you when you put it on? Did it sort of was there something different about it for you? Um, maybe a little bit, like, but I couldn't really put it into words yet. Mm. It was just like something almost where I felt like a little bit shy about it. I don't really know how to describe it, like at oh, that's the time. And I remember looking. Um, at the uh, one of the albums, I think it was Stand, the one that has like the collage mm-hmm. of all the pictures and everything. Yeah, yeah. And you mean the baby pictures? Y- yeah, there or just like pictures of everybody okay. in the okay. band and everything like that. See, I don't have stuff memorized, but it's one of the albums. And I was, I remember thinking like, okay, it was almost like, is this like a family photo album? Mm, like wow. my mom wasn't, I don't remember her describing it to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, am I in this photo somewhere? Wow. Um, like. Who am I related to in these photos? Just trying to guess who people were based on what I knew that they looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like an interesting experience for me as well. You know, I, I will say, um, you know, in certain worlds, you know, in certain sort of like uh, communities, my father's pretty famous. He was a, he was a painter and a sculptor, mm. and so most of my childhood was going to art exhibits. You know, he's been shown at the Broad. He's been shown at the Contemporary Craft Museum. John, John his T. Riddle Jr. It's all, in, all over his yeah. house. Yeah, well, we, the family, we're lucky enough to have kept some of the pieces. And some of the pieces are just like in these expensive collections, so we only see it when it comes out in museums. Mm. I only bring it up to say that anytime, you know, people from those circles ask about my father, I feel like they're talking about someone else, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, in their eyes, everything that John Riddle Jr. did was so serious and profound. And there's that side of my father. But when I think about my dad, I think about him like sitting on the couch drinking a beer and watching the Lakers game. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's that dichotomy of like what the public, the public figure persona, pers- right, the, yeah, right. what the public persona is. And then I just think about my dad like yelling at the TV, like, "Come on, ref! Mm-hmm. You know, Kareem got that shot off clean." You know, like <laughs> you know. So I always think that's sort of interesting. I'm curious, both as a DJ and a, and as an artist. Um, you probably have a profound appreciation for his for his music, especially now. But like in your teen years or in some part of your life, did you rebel and sort of listen to anything but your father? Like, did you go through that period? You're like, I don't want to hear it anymore. I would just want to do me or do something else. Especially since you're a recording artist as well. 
Yeah, I never had that period. Never. Um, okay. I could see it being the case if maybe <laughs> maybe if I, I'm just a bad son. Well, no, but the thing is that's different. Is it sounds like you grew up with your dad in your house. Yeah. And so he was around you a lot. Mm-hmm. His work was maybe in some way or another. I I I hear where you're going. It's it's the um yeah to a certain extent because he was around and because he was eminently familiar. Yeah. There was that whole thing going on. So yeah. I'm just like oh, yeah, because it's like we kind of like. <laughs> are um, in weird ways like anti the people we're close to. Like, uh, it's so like, true. Oh, I'm around you all the time. It's so true. <laughs> yeah. My father was really into jazz. So for a good portion of my childhood, I just never wanted to hear jazz yeah. music. I was right, like, right. that is my dad's the music. home field disadvantage. No yeah, interest. Just, and then the second my father passed, I was like, oh, I just want to hear his mm. opinion about Horace Silver or, wow. you know, Hampton Hawes. Or, like, all of a sudden when his voice wasn't there. Yeah. All of a sudden, that's when I was like, "Oh man, I wish I'd asked him about this stuff." Mm-hmm. You know, like it's um, yeah. But well, I didn't my, mean to cut you off. My dad was never there, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Uh, I say that you know, I mean, yeah, it's fine. It was fine. It wasn't like uh, I just didn't grow up around him. My parents split up when I was like three. Yeah. Um, and I didn't spend a lot of time with him growing up. It was like I could probably count the number of times. So it was definitely very different. You know, like I I probably would have liked to hear what he thought about different things. Um, and so... It it's really is maybe a case of familiarity breeding a certain level of con- contempt. Contempt, yeah. yeah. But that's definitely at work here. It's a, a funny bit. thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. It, and, but, and at the end of the day, it's like we... I also really relate to the idea of like having my own personal way that I see him as a person versus like what people think of him yes. as, you yeah. know? Um, and uh, that's an interesting thing as well. Um, but yeah, I I always loved his music. Um, and I just would like discover it in different ways. That's I don't, interesting. How, it, how, what does that mean? Yeah, like, um, I don't think my mom was like listening to him a bunch. Maybe she had some contempt. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Likely, but she was nice enough to have the records there. She was always actually, I give her props because she never said anything negative about him. Wow, I, I always, I, which may not have been easy, right? That may not have been easy, exactly. Like, I remember, I feel like she consciously was like, Yeah, it's best if I try to like not at least not paint him in any sort of negative light, right? Mm -hmm. So, but I remember like an interesting thing when I came across um, the soundtrack for Dead Presidents, the film. Oh, yeah, and big soundtrack, yeah, amazing soundtrack. And I heard the soundtrack before I ever watched the film. Mm-hmm. And it had If You Want Me to Stay on it mm-hmm. from the album Fresh. I didn't know that album at all because we didn't have it at home. Oh. And, you know, like in the 90s, it was like I wasn't really listening. There wasn't like a radio station that I would listen to yeah. that would play it. We didn't have streaming services and like curated playlists and stuff <laughs> like that. So I had never heard that song before. And I was like, this is a dope song. <laughs> so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> Available for you to see. I'm about to go and then. And you just had like a relationship where it was just like you were able to relate to it just as music you liked. Yeah. Not that it was related to your dad necessarily. Yeah. But did that then bring you more into his music? Is that kind of a stepping stone? Yeah, I think it was just like little by little. And then finally, when I like really got into studying music more, like as. 
I don't know. It just was like over time, mm -hmm. gradually. I, I never, I don't remember having like one particular time where I was like, I need all of the discography right now to like really do a deep dive. That's more of a modern thing. Yeah. I, all the I demos, the B-sides, everything, no. Yeah, just over time they <laughs> mm -hmm. come and like organically, you know? And even to this day, it's like I'll still hear songs that I'm like, I feel like I've never heard that song before. Or it's just like, like I used to say, people would ask me like, or not, not people would ask me, but if... If I would ever think to myself, do I have a favorite album, if someone were to ask me, which mm -hmm. occasionally they do, mm -hmm. <laughs> for a while my answer would be fresh. Mm -hmm. And then recently I was really getting into small talk. Just wow. because like, maybe I was tired, like That's I'd heard enough fresh. 74, right? After right fresh. after, right? Yeah. yeah, it was after. And um, it's a totally different feel. Um, and I think, you know, in general, like music kind of hits you at different times in your life and um, resonates in different ways, just depending mm -hmm. on like where you're at. Um and that's personally something that I enjoy about his music because it actually like goes through so many different genres or, or yeah. time periods. You know, it starts out with the stuff that's like kind of more like um, 60s, like doo-woppy, bandy sounding. Mm -hmm. And then you have like the kind of more solo, cerebral stuff, more drum machine based uh, so that leads me to a question for you, our guest today. Why do you think your dad's music still resonates with people all these years later? Mm. I think because it's really good. <laughs> it is so good. It's really fucking good. It's really fucking um, good. I think that uh, one thing that I've noticed about at least like his biggest hits is the simplicity mm -hmm. of the lyrics and the statements. Um a lot of times the hooks are not even like, they're not even rhymes. It's just a sentence. Mm, you're you know right. what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I want to thank you for letting me be my, right? Mm -hmm. And they just like repeat that. It rhymes with itself. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, no, it's just nothing wrong a statement. With it and it's That's very, a great, I, I never thought of that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty awesome. And it's very easy to sing along to. Um, I always thought that, the, I thought the sing along part of it reminded me of church. It, mm -hmm. it reminded me of like, you know, his gospel roots, yeah. if you will. Like, because they started off as a gospel group, like in the very earliest incarnation. Yeah, that. absolutely. I mean, yeah. they came from singing in church, being a gospel group in church, um, and all of that. And yeah, I mean, if you look back at any of the song titles, we could probably name off like maybe all of the hits. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing where it's just like, an affirmation. Yeah, right. You're right. Sort of like not a bumper sticker, but it is that the idea or of a, a command. A command, sure. Dance An to the music. Dance yeah. to the music. Sing a simple Dance song. To the music. Right. I Dance want to take to you higher. Yeah. Higher, higher. You yeah. can't not get higher. Yeah. And then obviously the musicianship is just incredible. Um, and it, even like a lot of it is, I feel like it was just like really mixed well too. So it doesn't have that quality where it's like, oh, there's not enough like drum in here or enough bass. Sometimes old songs, like they don't hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The songs yeah, yeah. still really hit right. too. Yeah. Not to say that they have to hit. I mean, there's songs no, that don't but it, hit. But, but it always makes a big difference. I think it's one of the reasons why his catalog has been, you know, so sampled mm -hmm. and so... right. Because the drums and the bass, because mm -hmm. it's meant to be dance music, yeah. and in that moment they're figuring out how to, like technically in the producer's like chair, they're figuring out how to make drums and bass sound good because they didn't. You could barely hear bass just a well, couple years earlier. Yeah, yeah, I think we were talking earlier about Brian Eno, the uh, famous British music producer, saying that 
you know, he he put a priority on the bass and rhythm mm. elements of the song yeah. so that, you know, you could just you could never imagine future generations making funk and soul without that sly influence. So let's get into the song. We're going to start with a little bit about the man and the band. So Sly himself, Sly and his family, uh, they do come from Texas, and then they move to Vallejo. They are, as we were just discussing, in the youth choir. Their first original incarnation was when they were kids, they would sing together. Um, And Sly picks up instruments really quickly. He gets a guitar. He learns how to play the keyboards. He very, in, in high school, literally joins his first band. Uh, and they're called the Viscanes, and this is one of Sly's first ever recordings. He's in high school when he does this. This is Yellow Moon by the Viscanes. <laughs> it's so, it's so, it's so of its time. What's that? Did I? I love this. I love it. And it sounds like his voice when you hear it. You know? Yeah. Um, it really does. And then did you hear Walking in Jesus' Name? I don't know that one. Oh, that's when he was nine years old. What? Okay, uh, I don't know this. Well, we, can, we can play a clip, so. Yeah. God knows I'm not ashamed. You know I'm going to keep walking, talking, praying, singing, teaching in my Jesus' name. Tell us about that. So uh, he, before he was in the Viscanes, okay. his like church group was called the Stuart Four. Okay. I don't remember who the four was. I mean, maybe like other family members were in it. Okay. But he has a song called Walking in Jesus' Name. And I think that's like the earliest recording. Oh my God, that's amazing. He was around, yeah, I think it was around nine years old. And the crazy thing is, it sounds so much like him, like the rasps to his voice, the delivery. He's already coming into his his voice, literally. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, one of the fun things as I was doing research into this is, is first of all, I'm from San Francisco. We're both from the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And Sly, he's moved to the Bay Area at this point. He's a radio DJ. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. At KSOL. Not only is he a radio DJ, it sounds like he might be the coolest radio DJ of the 60s, which I freaking love. So he's at KSOL for three years, and he is doing clever stuff on the air. He is playing a combination of his influences, the R&B of the time, and also he's bringing into it some, he loves, he falls in love with the Beatles and he's bringing in the rock, he's bringing in the British invasion stuff. And he has such power on the on the airwaves because he's so popular. He's like like a 40 share or something. They let him play whatever they want, even though it's ostensibly a soul station. They let him play whatever he wants. And he's already bringing in all these influences, the white, the black, the guitars, the bass, you know, all of these things are coming together on the air as a DJ. Amazing. This brings us to the next step in his career when he gets discovered by a couple guys who founded a record label called Autumn Records. They sign him up. They learn that he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's a songwriter. He's a producer. He's a DJ. They love this guy. And they bring him in to the fold, and he ends up recording his first gold record, which is Come On and Swim by Bobby Freeman. This is from 1963. Come on, everybody. Yeah, exactly. And it's got to dance. And it's got to dance. Is that literally the dance? I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I, I mean, no, the swim is like famous. Like, yeah, no, but but he, right. The swim is famous. I don't know. Is that I the don't swim? Know. <laughs> is it famous? No, the swim? Absolutely. The swim but is I'm, big. In the... And you were doing yeah. it, though. Thought... Yeah, so I guess the swim already existed, but maybe yeah. Like, yeah, there wasn't I think really this songs is, we, about We talk it? about this a lot on the show. Like yeah. when, when I, I feel like there was a time in the music business when right. something could be big out there and the culture is like, get in the studio, yeah. record a right. song, with, just make sure. That, I guess we still have that. Though. I guess that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. essentially That's what TikTok, TikTok is. That's what yeah. TikTok is. Yeah, that's funny. This was the original TikTok. Exactly. Yeah, the sock hops and stuff like that. Right. Where they bring in the 
twist was last year, and this year it's the swim or whatever it really is. Well, the twist is funny because then the next summer he came back twist with, again. let's twist again. Like we did last summer. Which is really sad. I mean, I always say we should do a, a, a Can't segment. even find a new dance. We should do a segment on this show called, like, They Tried It, which is <laughs> when you have a hit and then like you're like, hmm, maybe I can go back to that hit well. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I heard of one, too, where Shout out was... to Chubby Checker. No, no, no offense. <laughs> there was one where it was like a dance move that they talk about in the song that didn't exist, and then yeah. the song did so well that they're like, oh, shoot, we have to come up we with like come a up dance. With a mashed dance. potatoes? How is I think that might potatoes? be that, like, the one never, or something like that. I feel that, like yeah. this already existed. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the mashed potatoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good enough for me. Try it out at the sock hop at the Cow Palace this weekend. Yeah. Cow Palace. The Woo. Cow Palace. Yeah, like that's where they're doing the sock hops. And Sly's leading the band. So Sly's star is rising. He's getting money and he moves the whole family to the Bay Area, to Hate Street. And they're all living under one roof. Mm-hmm. And he has the idea, like, uh, he's actually Jerry Martini, who is the sax player for Sly and the Family Stone, enters his life at a certain point, is a huge, is a good friend and a fan. He's like, you've got to start a band. You've got, he's the one who's really poking him and pushing and prodding him. And um, at a certain point, he gets together with his brother, who's got his own band. Freddie has his own mm-hmm. band, which is called Freddie and the Stone Souls. <laughs> and they've got Greg Rico on drums. And they just have a conversation like, let's just merge forces. We are one band. We are Sly and the Family Stone. Now, I want to ask a question. Is this the period where, like, I guess Sly comes across Grace and the Great Society? That's an excellent segue. So Mm -hmm. while he's at Autumn Records, after this first hit record, the one we just listened to, the number five, um, which he co-wrote, by the way, and he play, apparently he plays organ, guitar, and bass on that, on that Bobby Freeman record. So they moved to Haight-Ashbury. He's now officially a producer. And among the many acts that he's working with, so one is called the Bo Brummels. Um, one is called the Great Society. And that band Which later become. becomes Jefferson Airplane and then yeah. Starship. And he actually, uh, at the time, they were still the Great Society and somebody to love. They have this song. And they're doing take after take, and they just can't get it. And Sly's like, I'm out of here. So <laughs> that, that's his experience with, uh, with Grace Slick. So it didn't quite work out. Um, but they ended up doing all right. So peace, yeah. peace out to them. Uh, and then he also works with the Warlocks before they become the Grateful Dead. So <laughs> Sly is like in the middle of like what is happening in San Francisco musically. Like uh, from all like the radio side of it, the producing, the writing, he's everywhere. And it's time to form his own darn band because mm-hmm. he's got too much talent that he's giving away for free to all these other people. Mm-hmm. So in 1966, they form Sly and Stoners combined with Freddie and the Stone Souls and it becomes Sly and the Family Stone. And um, from, the, from the get-go, it was always intended to be, the vision was always this integration of black and white and boy and girl. Now he'd had a little taste of that with the Viscanes who were... You know, there were there were girls and boys, and there was a Hispanic. Uh, I think one of the guys was Hispanic, and then, but this was really his attempt to like take that to the next level, and just again integrating everything he'd been learning on the radio with his musical tastes and mm-hmm. with his sartorial fashion choices. And everything. By the way, which is just like ludicrous. I just want to <laughs> I want to tie a line from Sly to ludicrous. I love that. These are guys who started off on radio. Mm-hmm. They saw what was working, and at some point. You know, Chris Lover Lover was like, I'm going to become a rapper named Ludacris. No way. And similarly, Sly was like, hey, I can do this. No, I was just going to say, it's also a bit like our, we did an episode yeah, about Massive, Massive Attack. Attack. Exactly. It's a similar idea. It's it's DJs. So they're like absorbing music and they know what's cool and they know what they like. <laughs> they're like, let's take this and do our own thing with it. I, I love it. It's like the yeah. Pet Shop Boys like giving harsh reviews on music of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, you think you can do any better? And they're like, well, maybe we, maybe we should. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I love yeah. it when they come from a Me too. left angle like that. The band forms their first album, A Whole New Thing Comes Out, and it is, it's a great album, by the way. It's, it's very different from the rest of what comes, is about to come, 
And it doesn't necessarily do that great. And apparently, Miles Davis and all the like hip cats love the record. All the his peers, musical peers, love the record, but it doesn't do so well in terms of sales. And the label comes back and says, "Look, we still love you, but you got to you got to simplify it, basically." And as we were just discussing, like this is the era of like literally, it turns into a formula. Let's 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 not do any chord changes. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> a lot of these early songs, it's one chord. They're jamming on a riff, jamming on a groove, and they've got as you were saying, one simple sentence that may or may not rhyme. And that includes the hits, Dance to the Music. Everyday People. And this one. These were three top 10 Billboard hits in, in 68 into 69. And, and not to put too fine a point on it, it is really important to point out that he is blending completely different genres. And that's part of what makes the music so unique is he's bringing in, it's it's funk. It's what's been happening a little with James Brown. I mentioned the like, you know, the one chord, no, no changes thing. It's dancey dance music for the dance floor, for the sock hop at the Cow Palace. <laughs> um, but he's also bringing in some psychedelia. Like this is San Francisco. It's the late 60s. He's been working with the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. No surprise, a little bit of that kind of like the fuzzy guitar tones and sort of wild freak out. Solos are finding their way into the music as well. And last but not least, as we were talking about, there is definitely so much gospel like so much churchiness happening from the literal B3 organ, the Hammond organ sound, to the way voices are used and stacked and yeah. the call and response. Almost every song, except this one, it's important to note. So many Sly songs are like one line from you, one line from you, mm -hmm. one line from you, then we all come together and sing it with a harmony stack. Mm -hmm. And that is so so church, so gospel. Mm -hmm. And and before we move on, I, I, I just want to say that like, you know, we all here at the show. We always try to put everything in its historical context. I think that it was, uh, you know, it was, it was actually my brother who is one of the hugest Sly and the Family Stone fans of all time. He always says that his best concert going experience of all time was he went to see them perform at the Forum here in L.A. in either 1970 or 71. Oh wow! And he said that yeah, my brother he 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 went to this one of the first shows I think he went to. He was like the 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 bottom end of that show was so insane. Mm. And he was like, you know, people were passing around joints. He thinks there were things happening up in the upper seats. <laughs> but he was like, it was so clearly, you know, a band like in their prime, like just crushing it, just killing it. Mm -hmm. And he told me, I think it was around like the time Obama was running for president, this theory that made so much sense to me then it does now. He was like, in some ways, Sly was the first Obama. <laughs> in the way that the, especially the rock critics, the way they received mm. him was like, you could have put his picture on a Hope poster and it would have made <laughs> all the sense because here's a guy, he's not wearing the suits that like, you know, the four tops would wear right, or whatever. Right, right. He, he's dressed like a hippie, you know? And then his band has women and men. It just seemed like the promise of this hippie generation all in one band because they had catchy songs. They were right. from the right part of the right city at that time. And it just seemed to come in with this optimism and with this hope. And the songs were fun. Everyday people, the, 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 the songs carried an optimism mm. and a hope. And here comes this song. Thank you for letting me be myself again, which 
you know, I you know, I think we might be something of the same age. Like I remember in the '90s listening to music and thinking like. Oh yeah, that's a pretty happy song. Mm-hmm. But then at some point, I actually looked into the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it's like it is like a person who you know, uh, it's, uh, it's like dealing with a bipolar person because the music's upbeat and it's yeah. happy. But then you look at these lyrics, you know, where he's talking about the devil's pointing a gun at him and he's laughing, and you know, and we're gonna get into the lyrics. But I just think it's important to say that like this was one of the first songs where those same music critics kind of t- begin to turn on him a little bit because mm. they're like, where's the hopeful guy? Where's mm-hmm. the guy who made us feel so good about ourselves? And this is one of the first, I think, sort of definitively very black songs out of Sly in the sense that, like, he's talking about, you know, and we can talk about the lyrics, but he's talking a lot about the black experience. He's mm-hmm. talking about, you know, somebody shooting at him, you know, presumably, you know, a racist or maybe it's it's a San Francisco police officer like but he's talking about like you're shooting at me I start to run but then I turn around and I you know I jump on top of you and beat you up you know what I mean like you know he talks about a party hey I, I want to be at a party but I cannot stay yeah. and like this is the beginning of almost everything that comes after this one because it's after this album that we get the more politically obvious mm. you know lyrics you know out of out of him and out of this band mm-hmm. so I wanted to just bring that up because you sort of have to understand where this is, not just in the history of the group, but also in the history of the country, uh, that these lyrics made so much sense to Sly and his fans at the time. Mm. Right. And we've talked about how for your experience with the music, it's, you know, you have, you've come to the music in, in different ways, like the songs and the albums in different ways. I'm just curious for this one in particular, before mm-hmm. we start to break it down, do you have kind of a relationship with this song in particular? or? Um, I think I've like... D- tried performing it before. Oh, really? And memorizing the lyrics is hella hard. <laughs> is it? Because <laughs> it's such a, like, story. It is. Story. Every verse is a different story. A different story. And then the last verse is so, like, it feels like, first of all, the song is long. Yeah. It's not a pop song length. Yeah. And then the third verse, it feels like he's like, okay, I still have a message to say, but I'm not even going to think about how these, like, words fit well rhythmically. I mean, it, they fit, but it's like, the first two was more like dum dum da ba ba ba. Oh, is this the flame in eye or something? Yeah. It's just like trying to pack in, like, okay, we're going to do one more verse and I got to get all my ideas in. So the end of the verse, and then he hits you with that crazy, you know, dying young but selling out is harder. Yeah, it's just like one of the hardest lyrics of all freaking time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to deliver that, you're saying, or it's challenging to get in that. As yeah, a yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it doesn't even like flow as well as the other ones do, and that one's always like stuck out to me. Is like, yeah. what what were the thoughts here right. that you didn't make it flow in the same way that the first two verses do? Right. Um, and then I think Diallo, like, it was really interesting what you were saying about um, uh, what the lyrics like represent. You know, like being black in America. Thanks to the U.S. Soy and the United Soybean Board for the sustainable makeover of our podcast studio and for sparking discussions on greener Hollywood production. Just like notes in a song, sustainable living is just a series of small, eco-friendly choices that contribute to the melody. Check out the Tears for Fears episode of One Song and see behind-the-scenes clips of how they pulled the whole look together. It's all on at Heartbeat Audio on YouTube, and the link is in our show notes. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. 
I love my cat, Tiger. And as my best friend, we speak our own language. What's that? You love your litter. He does, because I use Fresh Step Outstretch Litter. It absorbs 50% more waste and odor and requires less changing compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Less changing means more time playing. <laughs> right, Tiger? That's a yes. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Cat Litter in the pet aisle. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. And all the different things that you said. And I think there's also, like, for him, you know, he's already churned out a number of hits at this point and there's a lot of pressure on him so much fame as a man as an yeah. artist as the lead of a group as someone who has all this charisma and the power similar to like Obama or something like the the price the responsibility that comes with that and so I, I look at the lyrics also in that way too like when you when you're responsible for so much and people Ha look at you in a certain light and have certain mm -hmm. expectations for you but then you're also not even like a political leader no you're an artist mm -hmm. an artist is somebody who creates and expresses and you don't want to be like locked into one thing yeah so i hear a lot of that in it as well after the break we'll be back with more slime more family and more thank yous and yes we have the stem so you will hear this song in a way you've never heard it before we'll be right back All right, so let's get into the song. Thank you for letting me be myself again. Was number one for two weeks on the Billboard Top 100 uh, in 1970 and five weeks at number one on the R&B charts. Uh, it's one of their three number one hits and it was the number 19 song of 1970. Um, by the way, it was originally, we were talking a minute ago, it was a 15 minute jam. So the original like master tape, it is a 15 minute jam. We haven't talked about the Prince connection, but there's clearly a lot of Sly yeah. and Prince, mm -hmm. not the least yeah. of which is the idea of like, hey, let's do a 15-minute jam <laughs> and chop out the three to four-minute single version, and then we'll do the seven-minute version for the yeah. extended. And on stage, I'm going to make you play the jam till I tell you to stop, and it yeah. could be 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of Sly to Prince connect connectivity in that. Yeah. Definitely. Right, right. So let's start with the drums. This is Greg Orico, and um, it's a pretty simple beat. There's something interesting going on I'll point out in a second. But let's start with just the beat. And by the way, just a little caveat, these are the stems that I have are a little bit mixed. They're not perfectly isolated. So you'll, you'll hear a little bit of horns in the drums here and there. Um, and we're going to start with uh, drums with a little bit of horns. <laughs> now, one fun thing to point out, by the way, is that there are apparently two takes of drums, and you can kind of hear it like mm. a little later on. There's little flams where they don't quite hit at the right oh, time. Okay. So there's like an overdub. I'm going to find that moment for you. It's just a little moment, just kind of fun fact. Boop, boom, uh, yeah. yeah, so it didn't get it's it exactly not a right. Drum. It's all, it's he like, doesn't have a metal right. drum. Boop, boom, <laughs> right, exactly, like Metallica, right. And I've heard that it was like, not controversial is not the word, but like the fact that like this soul 
funk outfit had a white drummer. Yeah. yeah. It was like a big deal. It was yeah. a big deal. It was a conscious choice. It was a big deal. From what I've read, like Greg, Greg himself knows he wasn't the best drummer. Like the selection wasn't purely based on the, the most talented. He's a, He's a fine drummer, but he, he would be the first to admit it's like, look, there was this other guy. He didn't choose him. He chose me. This is what he was looking Listen, for. Look, I, I love Greg as a drummer because he's insane but i also have to point out here that like you're you're sly is one of the first people to really use a drum machine in soul music right. i mean like i think that little sister song in outside of a demo like it gets on yeah. the radio right Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah like it's just like nowadays it seems so common sense right. that we would all kind of like that like you know, measured beat, right. but like the robotic mechanical perfection is cool. But at the yeah. time, mm -hmm. but like, but I mean, even like in my lifetime, you've we've all seen that bumper sticker like drum machines have, have no, no soul, soul right? <laughs> and yet, so many of my favorite. I'm, I'm going to step a little bit out of of the timeline here and bring up a song on uh, Fresh called In Time. Mm -hmm. And in time, it is an amazing song because mm -hmm. you know it literally starts off with that drum machine, yeah, and it just. I feel like without and my, my once again my brother was the first person to point this out to me. I feel like without in time you don't arrive at some later classics like Marvin Gaye's Sexual Healing, mm. uh, Prince's Sign of the Times. Like these are these are completely funky, soulful songs that also start off with that very prominent drum machine. Yeah, yeah. Here's a little bit of in time just to show you what I'm talking about and see if you can hear some of the songs that it sort of you know predate. And if I could just build on that for a second, because we are such Sly fans, even though the show is called One Song, there's a second song I don't mind tapping into a bit, because Family Affair, one of, another huge hit uh, in my top three. Another drum machine. Another drum mm -hmm. machine. Yeah. And I do have the more extensive stems for this, and I did want to play for a second. Here's a little snippet of what Family Affair sounds like, just to remind you, if you haven't been watching TV and heard it on 30 <laughs> commercials today already. I am not tired of that. I'm really not. I'm really not tired of that song. I'm sorry. It sounds so clean. I mean, well, like, I think that this is a band that's known for being innovative. Like, mm -hmm. so many times you think that they're done and, like, and they this just is, go a little bit further. And this is one of the innovations, not just using the drum machine, which was like, this is the Maestro King Mark II. It would have been something you would literally use if you were a solo musician playing at a club and you couldn't afford to hire an actual drummer. It's almost like a glorified metronome. Yeah, and it, and it sounds... It sounds dinky to our ears, but the dinkiness has character. This is what he uses. I like that you thought you were going to use the word dinky and I wasn't going to call you. I use dinky every third episode. It's my favorite word, especially when describing drum machines. This is what that drum machine sounds like by itself. And what Sly did, whether or not for the first time ever, there's always this previous innovator, right. certainly in a huge pop record, though, was to blend that with live drums and create this incredibly interesting mix. So I'm going to put together, he overdubbed separately, by the way, the kick by itself, and then the snare by itself, and then the cowbell. Here's what he started to add to that to make this really cool rhythm, which is a blend of live and out of the box. Right? So sick. So sick. Love and it. this is this is an innovation. And this is another Prince connection because that's what Prince started to do all the time, in no small part because of his adoration for for Sly and, and Larry, as we'll get to in a little bit. By the way, interestingly enough, uh 
Prince became a Jehovah's Witness, apparently due to his time hanging out with Larry Graham. Well, perfect timing, because we're going to talk about Mr. Graham right now as we get into the bass. All right. This song, the foundation of this song is this bass line, and it's very an important one because there's some innovation going on here in what Larry Graham, the bass player, is literally doing with his bass guitar, is adding rhythmic elements which came from his experience being in a band with his mom. The two of them were, at the time they started, they were a three-piece band. He was playing guitar, mom on piano, hmm. and there was a drummer. And then one day the drummer left, and they had to sort of fill in the rhythmic part that the drummer hmm. had been doing. And that meant he moved to bass and started playing using his thumb as a kick drum and using his finger plucking it, that bounce, bounce, bounce as a snare. Wow. So he innovates this use of his bass to get Once melody, again, out of, rhythm. Out of absence of something else. That's right. I love it. Virtue of necessity. They didn't, they didn't have the drums, so he had to be both. He had to be both. Yeah. And he, he filled in all the sonic content that was required. You had a full, with mom singing and playing piano, that was all you needed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he brings it, Sly, the story is that Sly comes down to see, is, it's recommended that he come check out this innovative bass player. Hmm. Sly sees him on stage and he's like, I need this guy for my band. This is adding something new that I've never heard before. And that's exactly what I want. Something new, mm. right? My thumbs hurt just from yeah. listening to it. <laughs> he's, play, he's playing that for 15 minutes, too, remember? Oh, 15 minute 15 jams? Minute I mean, the man, the yeah. man must have had rock hard thumbs. And there's no breaks. He's just 15 minutes of that bass line. I don't yeah. know how he did it, but that man is the man. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Larry's thumbs. All right. Um, so I just want to pause here for a moment and ask you, Novena, about yes. your dad's style, yeah. his fashion, his look. Um, do you have any of his stuff? In the, did it make it? Did it get handed down to you? Do you have anything iconic in your possession? The sunglasses, the jackets? Uh, I, I actually do have some of his uh, items from well, back cool. in the day. None of them are like, I don't have like the Woodstock costume, okay. you know, any of the like most iconic looks. There is one um, shirt of his that's like this black shirt that was uh, photographed and I think captured the video of like a certain performance. Um, so it's like known in, the in other 70s. words? People kind of know it. I mean, I don't know if it's the, like... The fans. It's kind of hard. It's not like one of the main uh, looks yeah. or videos that gets passed too. around. Do you have the vests? I do, but it's like I have like other ones that weren't the main ones that were worn. So like, I think for example, there's one like hat that he would wear a lot, and there was like this bejeweled thing that he had around the hat. Mm -hmm. And I think I have that. It's like the rhinestone cowboy hat accessory okay. thing. That's so fun. Yeah, it's super fun. And then what he was really into, like some of his most iconic outfits were done by um, the designer Nudie. Or oh. nudies. Oh, like the nudie jackets from yeah, the country the, music? Yeah, the rhinestone western, wow. like, fabulous wear. And I don't know, you know, like, how it compares, like, who was designing then versus mm -hmm. now or whatever. Um, but uh, I, it's actually interesting. I, I, I look back now and I see that there's a number of artists who I think were wearing maybe the same, like, actual designer or genre of clothes because you can look at like Teddy Pendergrass for example mm. and he has like big cowboy hats and vests <laughs> and jackets with like rhinestones yeah, and stuff and, and stuff. suede yeah. and all that and so um so yeah that was like the, the most iconic time and I do have some clothes from that era so like That's um so yeah do you ever wear them like just when you're out I well 
not when I'm out, because I just feel like I don't want to wear them. I don't know. Like, I, they're really special. Yeah, yeah, of course. And there is one vest, though, that actually, um, I I feel like it was, like, a vest that went along with one of his iconic looks. Or maybe it was, like, worn under and you don't mm-hmm. see it as much. But it's this black rind, or sequined vent, uh, vest that has, like... Um, stars and moons and stuff all over it That's and they're so like cool. gold and silver and I um, I did this I was a part of this Sly and the Family Stone tribute uh, performance at Grand Performances in downtown LA a handful of years back and there was a number of us doing new versions of his songs and I got to do the song In Time oh, that was wow. one of the, wow. that was the song that I performed like as the solo lead mm-hmm. as the solo lead um and I wore that vest. And then I had like my own hat similar to one that he might wear at the time. Wow, that's so cool. Um, and then I also, he used to wear a lot a Star of David right, as well. Right, I was well, going to ask about that. I think which, his manager gave that to him. Yeah, I, I don't really know the origin of it. I, yeah. I know that I've heard different stories. He and, claims to in, in, the, in the book. Okay, yeah, got you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could see also for him, you know, like again, an approach at being like surprising people, number one. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like gospel dude, and then he's wearing a, a Star <laughs> of David. Yeah, it's a but it's also like inclus- inclusive mm-hmm. yeah. of more people and maybe a group that you wouldn't think of to include. Mm-hmm. Again, thinking back into like the 60s and the 70s, there's also, if we look at it from like a political perspective, um, the Jews were often there like in the civil rights movement and stuff like that, you know? So, but um, I, I, I have a Star of David uh, as well, like a big chunky one that like, I think it makes me think of him Whenever so I've cool. worn it before, I was going to ask you about that. It's so interesting. So, and you have one that evokes that. that yeah, one, his. You almost can't find footage of him not wearing that. That necklace. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Um, and I feel like the fashion designers loved dressing him because he was he was tall and skinny. Yeah, like, totally. He, he had like on, a model. And then, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in that uh, Madison Square Garden performance, you know, he's famously wearing Halston. Mm-hmm. So, like, I feel like they they were like, oh, that guy. Is that, know, is that his wedding room. when he got married yeah. at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, yeah, I think that Halston did both yeah, of their yeah, clothes. Yeah. I, that. It's interesting. Um, I don't know if this is too much of a tangent, but um, in thinking about that wedding more recently in comparison to like how um, media operates today, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, that was like such <laughs> a like social media publicity. It was made stint. for Instagram. It was made for Instagram. <laughs> and I think like, it was to- it was totally his like business mind like yo there's a win win right here like <laughs> shorty you know like I guess we'll get married or whatever and there's gonna be like photography we can do a concert like you know like let's get our bang for our buck <laughs> yeah you know like but then they were like we can't insure the angel unless she gave us like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars he's like all right scrap the angel <laughs> yeah and I think at the time there was even you know like um, you know you need press for different reasons. So yeah. you do stunts. And I think it was like at that time, they could use a little bit of uh, yeah. publicity happening. But it's funny because he is, at the time, he's a mainstay of all those talk shows. Mm-hmm. Like he's constantly yes. on like Mike Douglas and whatever. I think you sent me the one where it's him and yeah. Richard And Richard Pryor, Pryor which yeah. is amazing. Great, and he gets Richard Pryor to play drums. Never be Come on, Richard. These are incredible. He he was. I think he even co-hosted with Mike. He was clearly appreciated for his public persona, and it worked both ways. It helped him stay in the public light, as you were saying. Yeah, and you're right. He did co-host for like a day or a handful of days. Okay. Um, Was that Mike Douglas or was that Dick Cavett or what? I think that was with Mike Douglas. Okay. It wasn't with Dick Cavett. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's all those kind of 
crazy outfits and those. But that was the Instagram well. of the time. Is yeah, what I mean, like so that would be his opportunity to sh- to be the you know to show off his new look, his new fit. On the yeah, gram. right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And. Lots of fits. I mean, I even heard a story one time that like they were about to go onto the stage or they were backstage or something, and there was like a rug on the floor, and my dad like cut a hole in the middle and put it over <laughs> Freddie and was like, "This is what you're wearing." That's amazing. So I think it was also him too, you know, not just like the designers, but mm-hmm. just his. He had an eye. Uh, he had an eye. Yeah, yeah for he aesthetic. aesthetic, and he's still that way. Like he likes flashy, <laughs> I nice love things. That he put a rug. <laughs> They're like, who, who are you wearing? Who are you wearing? Uh, Alan Carpenter. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Let's get back into the song. We got more stems to listen to. Yes. Let's get into the guitars. Now, this is actually another reason why this song is unusual. I mentioned vocally, it's it's less of the trade-off thing that he was known for in that moment, especially. Um, Also, there's no keyboard in this. You know, Mm. often there would be not just one, but even two keyboards. Mm -hmm. Rose would play keys, and so would he. But this song, it's it's two guitars. And I'm actually not sure who's playing which guitar. In the footage, you'll see if they're playing it live. You will hear you will see that Freddie is playing this first riff. So let's listen to what might be Freddie's riff, might just be what he played live. And Mm. it sounds like this. And I mean, if you it, that get, sounds, it does not get a whole lot funkier than that. And if that sounds right? familiar, we'll, we'll 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 discuss why that may sound familiar. Well, we yeah, I think we know why it sounds familiar. Yeah, we know why it sounds familiar, <laughs> among other reasons. Uh, and meanwhile, here's the second guitar, uh, which has got it's just basically him playing a wah, and you'll hear a little bit of the vocal percussion. I think this might be Sly, both the guitar part and the vocal percussion. Guitar number two. It's actually panned right in your headphones when you listen to the song. The <laughs> guitars are panned very like extremely. So that was the left guitar. Here's the okay. right guitar. <laughs> so good. So I never good. noticed that before. You never noticed the vocal the part? Sh- 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 yeah. <laughs> Let me play it again because you'll hear at the beginning, you're like, oh, that could be a snare drum. Yeah. <laughs> But then he stops doing it. You're like, oh, wait, that was his mouth. <laughs> so it's all vocal percussion. Wow. We'll listen again. And, and the wah guitar. What's fun about this part is that um, he that uh, falsetto voice that comes in and out sort of selects lines and then backs off and then comes in again. It's so spontaneous. Mm-hmm. And I can just kind of picture him live in the studio just like... Feet, like eyes closed vibing like this line not mm-hmm. that line this line <laughs> yeah backs off for the chorus wow. and it also doesn't even sound like him that other part that like well i could be wrong again this is spe- there's no like labeling yeah. on this stuff and i haven't been able to like get you know the notation on the session like who did what who did that i think part really of it he likes to keep it like that yeah honestly like um you know there's been times where where people like they'll be doing a new commercial or something like that mm-hmm. and they're like we need to know who's on this song who's singing or whatever and his his uh answer is we're all on the song we're all doing everything because that's it's amazing, a family yes. and he wants everybody to be credited and cut and into the financial so- side yeah exactly of it. that's really beautiful that's awesome. it reminds me there's a story when they first started the band sly's mainly a guitar player but freddie is also a guitar player mm-hmm. so when they're discussing who should play what sly's just like Man, it's on you. You, mm-hmm. you know how to play guitar. It's it's your it's your all learned keyboards. He knew them, but he wasn't great yet. Mm. So early version of the band, it's like 
he just gave that part to Freddie because he wanted his brother to feel comfortable and competent. And maybe he thought he was a better player too, but it, it speaks to the generosity you're, you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And he has a kind of personality too where he likes to hone in on like what that person is best at doing. And mm-hmm. sometimes he'll see what he thinks is like what you would be best at doing that you might not even see yet. So, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of what was happening as well. That's so cool. Is that yeah. something you've personally experienced where you can like, is there like a, do you have a story where that he's done that with you? Um, as you say that, it's hard not yeah, to think actually, about that. Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I can't think of years right now, but sometime in the 2000s, <laughs> he was doing some shows here and there, like House of Blues in Anaheim and um, maybe one in Los Angeles as well. And then he went on a European tour and um, he invited me to like be a part of performing. And I'm like, oh, I get to perform. OK, I'm going to be doing some like backup <laughs> vocals or like whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was like, OK, so. I'm going to do like a break at this point and I want you to come out and play one of the classical pieces you know on the piano. And I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> record scratch, like you know, like play some Chopin, like and and okay, literally wow. I was like uh okay. So that's what I did at a number of shows. Mm-hmm. Um he that. would just introduce me and invite his like daughter on. Yeah. Um and at the time, I really didn't get it. I was like, I don't think anybody's in, like. I was kind of embarrassed. Okay. But now, as I've gotten older, and I thought about myself like as a listener of music and an appreciator of like iconic artists. Mm-hmm. For example, the other day, I went to go see Lauren Hill perform, mm-hmm. and she brought her kids on stage, and mm-hmm. I absolutely loved that. Mm-hmm. And I was just so happy to see like her daughter up there talking. And if her daughter had played a classical song on the piano, I would have loved <laughs> you that. Appreciated you wouldn't have booed? Totally. No, you wouldn't have thrown popcorn? Of course. Sing, sing, yeah. do what? <laughs> no, no, yeah. So. He was so proud of you and he yeah. knew that you had a special talent and he wanted that to shine. Yeah, exactly. Instead of being just another, kind of, you would have been another background singer. And not a very right? good one either. Yeah, so. <laughs> so I'm going to play now, I'm going to build the chorus and you can hear the stack, the vocal harmony stack. Again, because these stems aren't perfectly separated, you'll be hearing ultimately everything will, right. will enter the picture at some point. And, and just to give full credit where due, I mentioned on drums, Greg Arico, on bass, Larry Graham, and on uh, left guitar, on the funky guitar, we think that's Freddie Stone and, and Sly on the wah guitar. And then I got to bring up the horns. So that's Cynthia Robinson on trumpet, Jerry Martini on tenor sax, and you'll be hearing them peppering, peppering this as we listen. So let's start here. Thank you for letting me be myself again. Now let's isolate. Freddie and Rose are going to be accompanying the drums. Thank you for me I think it's Freddie and Rose. Definitely Rose. Again. And then there's a third vocal accompanying the guitar. <laughs> So I'm going to build that slowly so you can hear it. So first, actually, I'm going to end with the bass because it's the loudest. Let's hear that one again with um, what I think, again, Freddie and Rose at the top. Thank you for me be myself a little, little harmony stack there. And then everything together. Thank you for me be again. And one reason I wanted to play this for you like that, and I'm going to do the same thing with the horns in a second, is that... Um, another talent that Sly had, he was famously, he had this 
teacher at Vallejo Junior College, I think, mm -hmm. who taught him all about, turned him on basically to harmony, counterpoint, and orchestration. And he loved it. And the way this teacher taught, apparently, he was very taken with this teacher. He gives him credit a lot. And so his use of those skills to build harmony, to build where, you know, what each of the performers should be playing, what the trumpet note should be and what mm. the keyboard should be to accompany it is a big part of his skill set, not just a songwriter, you know, just a songwriter, mm -hmm. just a producer, but also as an orchestrator, basically, mm -hmm. as an arranger, kind of like Quincy Jones style arranging. Yeah. Is another underrated skill. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a horn fill at the end, and I had never noticed this till I was listening, um, but... I, I mean, I sort of understood intuitively that there'd be overdubs and, you know, but I never realized how big this stack was because there's just the two players. Mm. There's just Cynthia and Jerry playing the trumpet and the sax, but there's probably three or maybe four overdubs of their parts. And, and, and let's listen to what they sound like one at a time. I'll play that one more time so you can keep it in your mind as I play the next one. And here's another horn uh, horn stack, harmonized already, but it's going to be harmonized with what we just heard. And then one more, and then you'll hear how it all sounds in the mix. So it's that dun, 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 is the, the, the line rhythmically, but they're all playing different notes, and here they are stacked together. It's a little hard to hear that I realize, but if you, I'll just play the over the top one again. That's just super cool to mm -hmm. me, the way that's all orchestrated and arranged. So mm -hmm. it is like an orchestration. It is an, it's an orchestra. It's literally that's the right word for it. Yeah. This is like sophisticated. Yeah. And the rest of the song harmonically, it's just one chord for fifteen minutes. But that's where the that's how you make variety across 15 minutes of the same groove it's the same drum beat and same bass line all the variety is coming from these horn parts they come in they come out yeah. they stack a little differently the vocals kind of change a little bit and i mean the song's only five minutes long in its released form but we could i would love to hear the 15 minute version i don't think i'd get tired of it yeah i think that there was like an 11 minute version released at one point on like a oh really wow <clears throat> special compilation or something some kind of like remastered bonus mm. dot 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 thing mm -hmm. really at some point That's yeah so, cool. so we talked a little bit earlier about the title of the song and its message and let's focus a little bit on, on the lyrics now I wanted to ask what do you think the song means what's it about I don't know I mean I I I think the lyrics are so poetic that it's it could be about. Uh, whatever you want it to be about. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think that's probably that's the true. Of it. Yeah. You know, like you insert yourself into the story, what it means to you. Um, but uh, yeah, it definitely feels like there's like a, a push and a pull um, with the overall feel of it. Um, you know, it's a song that's fun and you can dance to and you're like, thank you for letting me be myself again. It feels like that's the place that we've gotten to. And then we're thinking back on like all of the trials and tribulations that maybe it takes to get there mm -hmm. and the realities of the world. So it's like the yin and the yang. Um, the, the I mean, even if you think about it, like from a, a gospel perspective, it's like the battle of good and evil. Right. Um, or even, you know, through prayer, uh, 
and focusing on like what you're grateful for, what you're blessed about, mm -hmm. it gets you to like the happy place. So some songs like. I'm always fascinated by songs that sound upbeat, yeah. mm -hmm. and then you listen, and it's like, this is a really dark song, yeah. the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. This one is not a dark song. Right. It just is like, it's dealing with different dynamics, like a dichotomy of different things. Right. But at the end of the day, it's everybody saying thank you for letting me be myself again. So it's almost like you come home to a, spa a space that is like safe. Yeah. It's like, I've been out in the world dealing with all this. Thank you. And it feels like very present. Yeah. Thank you for letting me be myself again. Like you listening right here. Thank you. Right. As you're saying that, you're reminding me that actually in some of these early uh, performances that I was watching, like they would, he would almost always end the, their set by saying, mm. thank you for letting us be ourselves or some variation yeah. of that. Thank you for letting us be ourselves. Thank you. Exactly. Like Thank it's you. a very genuine yeah. sentiment that he obviously was like, oh, this is a song lyric. But like mm -hmm. it was coming from that exact place you're talking about, just like the gratitude. And also I think the gratitude, of, of course, I think he was explicit in some... Uh, of the of the footage I've seen where it's like thank you for letting us you know with our cultural with our diverse makeup mm -hmm. you know be present and for it to be you squares in the audience mm -hmm. all the squares go home not notwithstanding like recognizing that we, there's a place for us here and that there's something you can listen to and maybe learn from about what yeah. we're doing yeah yeah having that place that is um home or community or church mm -hmm. where you I mean, you know, that's arguable if you can be yourself in church or not. But <laughs> in theory, if it is a gracious, all-accepting church, yeah. and, uh, you know, then that's the place that you can be yourself. You know, I think that um, all art, we've, we've said many times, like, you know, there's, you know, and, and on all of us, every, every all three of us are artists in our own field mm -hmm. um, and fields. And I think it's so important to always say that there is no definitive interpretation. But I will share mine. Uh, yes. <laughs> Notwithstanding. Yes, because I think that, again, you know, you have to look at sort of like the trajectory. Look, I'm a, I'm a storyteller, and I and I look at where Sly comes into the song and where he, specifically where he goes afterwards. And, you know, you've got, you know, this is 69, you guys. Like, there's so much going on in the world. And I think this one hits it pretty on the nose. The only part that I actually quite didn't quite get was the chorus to mm -hmm. me the chorus on its on its face is really upbeat and happy but when looking at individual core individual verses you know he's talking about the devil is pointing a gun at me he runs but somehow he, he runs back jumps on the devil and he's on top and he beats up the devil he's got a line in there about stuffy all under the collar uh, again, I don't know whether he's talking about the Panthers or the Democratic National Convention of 1968, which obviously ends in a riot, and people think that that's the riot that he's talking about. There's a riot going on. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, like, there's some things that seem very personal, but they can also clearly be interpreted as him making commentary on what's going on, you know, in the world. And I think that, uh, to me, this... I, I came into this episode thinking, well, what does the chorus mean? And And... I think I come out of this episode having a new interpretation of the chorus, which is just to say, you know, given, please, everybody, read the verses. I think that the chorus is essentially saying, in regards to everything else he's been describing, hey, it's hard to be a black man, and it's hard to be a black person. It's hard to be a part of this counterculture in 1969. This is not easy stuff to take on. But now I'm on stage, and I'm singing to you, so thank you for letting me be myself. 
In other words, all the things that Sly is. Yeah. He's like black. Itself. He's a counterculture person. He has things going on in his own life. And especially that end, like dying young is hard to take. Selling out is harder. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's one of the greatest lines that it's, it's so, you know, that is, comes that is out. the artist dilemma, like right there. And I think what he's saying is like mm-hmm. I have just sung to you a very, very honest song about not just what's going on in my life, but what might be going on in your life. Again, I almost defer to the people who were sort of alive at the time. Because like to hear my brother tell it, like everybody of that forum show was completely on that page. Mm-hmm. Like they they understood that thank you for letting me be myself was essentially thank you for letting me exist and not doing away with me through so many leaders die in this period. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got leaders getting killed, you got people in the streets, students dying on campus. Panthers literally shooting at the police. Like, there's so much going on in the world that you could literally feel like, oh shit, this is, this might be the end of me. The devil literally might be aiming a gun at me now. Yeah. But right now, I'm on stage, I'm singing to you. So thank you for letting me be myself. Yeah. And that's how this upbeat, happy chorus sort of ties in with, I don't want to call it dark necessarily, but just like with the heady stuff that's happening in the verses. Because mm-hmm. to me, that was always a disconnect. And again, that that's just what I make of it. And again, that's just one person's interpretation. And what do you make of the spelling of the uh, song title? Well, that's complicated. <laughs> um, Mice, elf, I, both I, small things. That's so cool. I did not, I, that that was not part of my turn, but that makes that's, a lot of sense. And actually, there's in the new book, the Ben Greenman book, which the Questlove. Uh, the memoir. The memoir, yeah. yes. Uh, Sly actually says, to your point, mice, elf, small, humble things that were reminders of how big the rest of the world was. You have to stand up straight to be seen at all. There you go. So let's talk a little bit about samples and interpolations. It should be said that Sly and the Family Stone are one of the most sampled and interpolated bands of all time. There's at least a thousand known samples, at least according to the the great snitchery database, whosample.com. <laughs> uh, wonderful resource and, and also the source of a lot of lawsuits. But <laughs> Who sampled, way. formerly known as Who Snitch. <laughs> <laughs> they should definitely rebrand. Actually, that's a good idea. Whosnitch.com. Is that out there? We should grab that. Right, let's grab that now. All right. Oh, someone already grabbed it. <laughs> let's continue. Let's continue and let's start with the by far most prominent and most cleared, (laughs) so legal, uh, from this song in particular. This is Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. And that comes from something we just heard, which was this. So we actually had the pleasure of talking to Jimmy Jam. Yeah, shout out exact, to Jimmy Jam. Shout out to Jimmy Jam about this exact sample. So good. I, he recently told me the background of how he thought to put that sample in the song. Did he tell you guys about that? I think he did on the show. I don't but remember. But please tell cut. us. Yeah, tell us again. <laughs> well, I had the pleasure of meeting him the other day, and he's just really lovely mm-hmm. and like just ready to tell stories, right? <laughs> yes, like, yes, yes. Um, and. Um, so he said that, uh, so he was working with Janet and they're kind of like rebranding her in a way, putting mm-hmm. together a new album. Right, for album. the Rhythm Nation Yeah, for album, the Rhythm Nation right, album, yeah. exactly. And um, she uh, wanted to have a song, I think that was like, had a message and had like a feeling and an emotion to it. Mm-hmm. And so he's just like, okay, trying to think about like, what's the song going to be? And mm. he was at lunch um, at a restaurant somewhere in Los Angeles 
and on the music just at the restaurant, mm-hmm. the song comes I, I on. Remember that. Yeah. And it just came um, on. Right, the, the, thank th- you for yeah, that. Thank, you just came on. Thank you, just came on. Yeah. And then the guitar part came, and then he was like, "That's it, right yeah. there, aha moment." That's so awesome. we raced back to the studio, and um, back then, you know, technology was different, so you had to kind of like, uh, you couldn't loop things as easily or whatever. Yeah. You like, had to use the record. Yeah, and you had to, like line it up, play yes. it again, exactly. So that's what he said. He had like a machine where he he had that part looping from the okay. Sly and the Family Stone song. And he looped it for like five minutes and he played drums <laughs> along to it oh, wow. for five minutes to create a track to start with for Janet. Then Michael loved it so much and he was like, I want a song like that too. And no way. so then on the remix of Scream, guess wow. what's coming which next? Which you're going to get to? Yeah, but on but the you remix keep on of Scream, the which was yep. produced by Jimmy Jam, they used, they used a different guitar part of the yep. song. That's but that story song. I didn't know that and that's it's so funny because I was about to play that yeah. and I was gonna say and Jimmy Jam loved that sample so much he's like I, I want to use it for another piece of work and I didn't that's so I think it was actually like, Michael who was like, like I was love a, this a mutual so much. love type of thing like wow. Michael was like oh I want that right right <laughs> yeah that's so cool well, here it is yeah this is from the flight time remix of Scream it's called Scream Louder yeah. So I just want to say one thing about these the samples and, and the phenomenon of sampling and, and Sly being so sampled. And it's very similar, actually, to when we spoke to Jimmy Jam. He had a similar philosophy. There's a quote that I found in, in this wonderful book again where Sly talks about being sampled. And he goes, I keep my ears open for songs that connect back to my music. I feel proud when I hear it echoing in what other people make. I had forgotten that Janet Jackson had used Thank You for Rhythm Nation. And basically, he's like, when he heard it and was reminded of it, it evoked the era, it evoked mm. the use, the original performance of it. And for him, it was appreciate, it was appreciative of his work. Mm-hmm. So he was able to appreciate it in, in a whole new way, I think, because of its reuse. Yeah. Every time I've heard him be asked about people sampling his music and how he feels about it, he always mm-hmm. has like a positive response to I love it. That. And um the one that I remember him saying too um is like, yeah, go ahead and sample me and then I'll sample you for sampling me. <laughs> right, right. And it's kind of keep, funny because that's actually what's happening going. now. Yeah. Like, you know, you have like songs that came out in the nineties, like R and B songs that right. were sampling songs from the sixties or whatever. Yeah. And then now there's new R and B artists who are sampling right, right, those nineties right. songs. The sample, yeah, yeah and some people are like, oh why blah, 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 <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. A, you know? And I'm like, that's some of my It's like that Metro Boomin that's like a remake of the Winans, the I don't wanna yeah. know, which itself has the Fuji's in it, which Ex- itself has like, Yeah. But that's so I love that. We talk about that all the time. We love we are a sample connection. safe zone. Oh, absolutely. Sense, and we, we love it. We that, love to it. me, is that's the progress of the culture is yeah. continuing yeah. to tell the story, but it's a little different this time, but it's a yeah. little different this time. And I think it's kind of reminds me of jazz, you know, mm-hmm. like you hear I, a jazz improvisation yes. mm-hmm. and then they'll do like a quick nod to some right. other song. And right. in jazz, it's not going to be like an actual recorded sample because that's not like what the type of music is it's live music you yeah. know in jazz but it's the if same only there idea. was a word for, no they would they would only they there would, was a word for that <laughs> that you whisper but but i think that's another reason why you know i always go to jazz too because you hear a song like cherokee and then you realize that charlie parker did coco mm-hmm. you know but it's the same song and like so the same song would go from duke ellington to charlie parker then maybe somewhere along the line alicia he muhammad was sampled from tribe called quest yeah. and then you know 
And next thing you know, Ty Dolla Sign's jumping on a song with it. So shout out to Ty Dolla Sign. We want you on the show. And part of what makes it cool is that as you get older, maybe, and sort of learn, you hear one song and it connects you to the other one. Mm -hmm. And then you go back in time and find the origin. Oh, yeah. And then you are therefore connected to other, the sampling basically chain connects you to other artists and other eras and other genres in wonderful ways. If we tried to isolate every song so it was own island Mm -hmm. that didn't have any interpolations or any references, like what's the point of that? Like I think that's a very like strict and unnecessarily strict way of 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 considering something to be original or creative i think originality is more expansive than that uh so we're coming towards the end and uh we just want to ask you this so much is written and said about your father is there one fact that you think you know about him (laughs) on the spot you can share with us today one fact good lord (laughs) one fact on one song one thing that i that i like to think of and um it reminds me, Diallo, of like what we were talking about earlier when you were saying your dad is on the couch watching basketball. He like Miller Genuine Draft. Yeah, just a regular <laughs> dude, right? Just a dude. And like, <laughs> I spent a lot of time not really knowing my dad and kind of just knowing what I would get from the media mm-hmm. and sort yeah. of thinking of him as this like um, really important person that ha- ha- that was just like, you know, highly regarded and wore cool clothes and wrote amazing lyrics. Um, But if you spend like a day with Sly Stone, he's really, he is all that, but he's also just a regular dude. dude. His favorite like movie category is Westerns. Wow. Um, Like the nudie suits. That makes so much sense though. The nudie costume. He's an old black man. Yeah, no, that's that generation. (laughs) That generation loves Westerns. Yes, they love Westerns. I know exactly what that is. They love Westerns. And like he had a birthday recently and I was like, okay, we gonna get you whatever food you want. What do you want? You know, to eat uh-huh. and he's like I want a pizza with everything on it <laughs> like pineapple like that was what he wanted you know what I mean it wasn't like <laughs> like you know some like I don't know uh crazy right. thing I mean no I guess this is exactly what I wanted to know we love part of the thing that we love about this show is I feel like we 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 humanize the music just by letting you hear the individual parts it doesn't seem like this thing you know, this way off in the distance that can never right. be on repeated a pedestal, again. Right. Yeah, right. I think it's we, actually, we put our artists on a on a pedestal. It's life affirming to know that these, they're people. These things, it's life affirming to know that these things, you know, are, are actually. Um, I, I thought it's it's life affirming to think of these things as having been created, and I feel the same way about the people who create them. It's in a weird way, it's it's reassuring to know that they're people like us. Mm-hmm. You know, as 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 brilliant and talented and and. One of one of a generation they may be, there is something that brings them back to being. Would you say that like they us. are everyday people? <laughs> <laughs> oh you had that God. one in the works. I felt, I walked right into it. I, I love that you wanted a pizza with. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah, that's I a great. Really, I love that. Yes. <laughs> well, and mind also, erase people with my joke. I also want to add that I think that he has one of the best laughs of all time. Really, I think that in addition to his voice being a beautiful. Mm-hmm. vocal voice his radio voice is amazing he's got the best laugh <laughs> what is it, it what must be so like? gratifying what does it sound like yeah. we're, 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 yeah. what? like it's like do that. one time clean i won't talk yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's kind of like yeah it's just like I love very it. cute what makes what makes him laugh does he have like a favorite like comedy or comedian or something like that yeah i feel like whatever you think like would make an old black man from the south laugh <laughs> I know a few. I know. You know, like a uh, few of them. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's they were friends for a reason. You know what I mean? Okay, so before we go, we're going to do one more song. That's the part of the Ooh. show where Luxury and I will bring in a song that you probably haven't heard before. We share that song with each other and with you, and today with Novena Ooh. and with you, the listeners. Uh, Luxury, you go first. What song did you bring in today? Well, I, it couldn't be a more perfect segue because I chose a song in my research about your dad and. Um, I did some extensive deep dives into some of his interests and influences, and one of them that I discovered, which I'd never heard of before, a gentleman called Lord Buckley. Ooh. And Lord Buckley was this white dude in his like kind of middle age, whatever. In the 50s and 60s, he kind of had this character. He's sort of a pseudo-comedian, but kind of spoken word, but kind of sort of in the middle of all of this. And he had this sort of exaggeratedly aristocratic bearing, but then he would kind of have this hipster slang thing he'd do and he would mix them up it was like highbrow and lowbrow and very interesting blend of things which sly was obsessed with and memorized a lot of his routines including this one Mm -hmm. this is called the naz and yes david bowie fans he was the naz just like ziggy stardust (laughs) and i'll just play a little bit i look at all you cats and kitties out there whipping and wailing and jumping up and down and sucking up all that juice and batting each other on the back and hipping each other who the greatest cat in the world is (laughs) Yeah, so that's my guy. Do you know about? Sounds like you know Lord Buckley. Is you? Oh he's yeah, your, he's, he's a big world. fan. He's in your world of yeah. Lord. No, I, I only know about Lord Buckley because mm-hmm. of my dad. Um, and uh, uh, a handful of years ago, when I was making music uh, myself with a, a partner, we had mm-hmm. a little group and we put out an EP. And my dad did the intro to the EP, and he did an imitation. Oh wow! Of the, from the Nas, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he goes, "I'm about to put a lady on you." And he introduces me, <laughs> and and he says my name at the end of it, because in the in the original, the Nas, he yeah. goes, "The Nas." That's how he ends it. Yep. And in the one for me, he goes, "Novena." <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Diallo, do you have another one more song for us today? Yeah. Uh, just so you know, one thing we try and do on this segment is give some shine to some artists that some people have not heard oh. and uh today i'm gonna choose mr charles dickerson who records under the name of mono poly oh. uh he has a great catalog of music he's worked with a lot of artists you know including thundercat but i really like uh this ep that he put out and uh this song is one of the songs off of that ep so uh artist is mono poly and the song is called violet ray So check out that song if you get the chance. Nice. And not to put you on the spot, oh my God. Novena. Yes. Do you have a song you'd like to share? It might be a deep cut, just a song you're enjoying. Do you have one to share with us today? Um. Well, I was thinking about, can, we, can, can I do one related to Sly? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because I was thinking about, um, you know, music is infinite and there's always new things to discover. And yes. so lately, I kind of um, was getting interested in revisiting like when he wasn't really releasing music with Sly and the Family Stone as much. You going to say Stoneflower stuff? Well, it could be Stoneflower or just other artists that he was working with because he's like randomly like on an Earth, Wind & Fire song. He did stuff with Bobby Womack. He did um, one with Jesse, I forget his last name, called Crazy that more people know. Um, That was like in the 80s. And so then I was looking through some... uh, 
discography stuff the other day, and I was like, oh, he performed guitar, bass, and piano on this REO Speedwagon song? What? <laughs> All right, we got to hear that. What is this? I what? have to hear this, right? <laughs> what song? I'll pull it up. It's called You Can Fly. By REO Speedwagon. Oh, it was oh, released in 1974. I found it. And it sounds, it starts out sounding like REO, and then it's like, this is a Sly Stone song. <laughs> the whole thing. And it sounds like they're even trying to sing like him. Too. From 1974. I think Let's so, right? I mean, this has more of a groove than I would expect from REO Speedwagon. Even his voice kind of sounds like my dad. You know, and then like when you get more and more into the song, it's like more and more like a Sly and the Family Stone song. I, I'm gonna go back and listen to that whole album because just for our listeners who may not know who this band is, this is the band that did this. Rhythmically, that's so kind of interesting. <laughs> he doesn't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it. Anymore. <laughs> Novena, thank you so much for joining us. Before we say goodbye, where can our listeners find you online and listen to your show? Oh, yes. Well, I'm Novena Carmel, and you can find me on the internet there, N-O-V-E-N-A-C-A-R-M-E-L. My dad gave me my first name, Novena, because his lucky number is nine. Novena means nine days of prayer. Oh, beautiful. Fun little tidbit right there. That's he wanted cool. to name me Nueve initially. My mom was like, how about Novena? <laughs> so again, Novena Carmel. Um, and uh, my baby right now is co-hosting Morning Becomes Eclectic on KCRW. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to noon. You can listen globally. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, it's a local. On the website, right? We're here. Yeah, we're here in Los Angeles. um, But uh, a lot of people listen from all over the world. It's a morning show, but sometimes people say, we listen to you with our dinner, you know, like in Europe or whatever it is. Somebody just emailed me today from New Zealand saying thanks for the music. So so Is it just KCRW.org? KCRW.com. Dot com, okay. Yeah, and there's an app that makes it super easy. You can revisit past shows from the archives. Which is helpful to me because half the time I'm like ooh what song is this and you don't want to crash looking at your phone yeah. to try and figure out what song it is so yes look at your look look for the song on your own time Luxury help me in this thing I'm producer DJ and songwriter Luxury and you know what you can find me at at Luxury.com or you I've never said my website before I do have a website Luxury.com because you mentioned your website I'm like let's talk about with two websites. X's right two X's thank you for reminding Always. everybody or on the socials Instagram L-U-X-X-U-R-Y and what about you who are you uh, I'm actor, writer, director, and sometimes DJ Diallo Riddle. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Diallo, just those six little letters, D-I-A-L-L-O. I'm also on TikTok, <laughs> Diallo Riddle. And this has been One Song. We will see you next week. Please don't forget to tell your friends about the show. If you like the show, tell your friends. It's how we get new listeners. It's how we survive. So if you got to do it, stop people on the street. Tell them about the show. Tell them to rate it five stars. Don't forget to do it yourself. Like, subscribe, talk about it. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This episode was produced by Matthew Nelson with engineering from Marcus Hom. Additional production support from Jordan Collin, Charles Childers, and Alicia Shimada. The show is executive produced by Kevin Hart, Mike Stein, Brian Smiley, Eric Eddings, Eric Weil, and Leslie Guam.
Did you know that Mike Myers was accused of stealing one of his characters in Austin Powers? Or that Gina Davis chose Brad Pitt over George Clooney in Thelma and Louise? Or that Tom Cruise had a clause in his contract that he wouldn't go topless in Top Gun? If you're curious to hear more film facts, you should be listening to our podcast, Unspooled, where on any given episode, you're going to learn something fascinating about a film you thought you knew. I'm Paul Shearer. You might know me from my podcast, How Did This Get Made, The League, Black Monday, or Fresh Off the Boat. I'm Amy Nicholson. I'm a film critic who writes for The New York Times. And on Unspooled, we unspool famous films to see if they are truly all-time classics. Or just remembered that way. Listen to Unspooled, new episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix.